Hi, everybody. This is Norman with your daily podcast. We go for it, sharing stories and observations for the boldly aspiring. This is episode six of season two. We go for it, sharing stories and observations for the boldly aspiring underdogs. Episode six, getting personal, my own experience with being an underdog. You see, I've realized that not all underdog quests are freely chosen. There was an interesting um, quote from a song that I really like from a song by my favorite rock and roll band of all time, Van Halen. Uh, The song is Chinatown, where they sing the line, Heroes are not born, they're cornered. Now, I'm not equating myself with being a hero at all. However, I do understand that not all underdog quests are freely chosen. But we still have to face them. And we have to face them with the same sets of principles and rules. And if we do that then we have a pretty good chance of coming out on top. Let me just tell you a little bit about my story. Back in 1982, the 80s were in full swing. It was a very, it was a great time to be 15 years old. And at that time, we were living in New York City, where I was born and raised up to that age. My mom, who is an emigrant, an immigrant from Ecuador. She emigrated to the United States back in the 1950s, and she adopted her adopted country wholeheartedly. And she just fell in love automatically with New York City and the United States, and she considers herself a New Yorker and will do so till the end of her days. Well, she came over and she had us with my dad, and they decided that we were going to become Americans. We were going to integrate, as opposed to a lot of other uh, families that had come over from Ecuador at that time, where the parents spoke only in Spanish with their kids, and they were very Latino. My mom is a is Ecuadorian. She's very happy and proud to be one, but at the same time, she realized that it was important to integrate. So for the first 15 years of my life, we we didn't really speak much Spanish. Uh, they tried to, and we, we pre- kind of understood a few things. We ignored most of it, and we spoke English. We spoke to them in English, went to school in English, developed our American accents, and we were totally oblivious of what was happening in our country of, you know, our blood country of origin, which was Ecuador, me and my siblings, my brother and my two sisters. So basically, we were really New Yorkers. Everything began and ended in New York. And for many different reasons, my mom decided that we were going to move to Ecuador. For her, it was moving back home. For us, it was a foreign country, a completely foreign country, a country whose language I did not speak. So we were kind of put into this. I wasn't at all interested in the idea of living in the of living in Ecuador because it was just, you know, I'm from New York, you know, and back then everything in New York was was great. It was it was, and I was 15 years old, had friends, you know, and it was it was really just a bad moment to make that kind of a move. So 
we moved to Ecuador and I had no language skills and I was supposed to go to an international school where I could learn in English. So I was going to be placed in the proverbial bubble. Anybody who's familiar with the international school system, particularly here in Switzerland, you got this bubble and you live in this bubble and it's really great and it kind of siphons you off into the international environment afterwards, but you really don't integrate Swiss society. It's very difficult to do um, to any great extent. And so I, that was going to be my fate. And in hindsight, thankfully, it wasn't. It turns out that they, the tuition at this international school, it like increased tenfold. I'm not kidding. It went from being paid in the local currency to being paid in U.S. dollars, and it just, it, it just immediately became out of reach. So my mom had to look around for a local high school, a local high school in Spanish, and she found one, a private school, much less expensive, and there I went. So I arrived with maybe five Spanish words in my pocket, in my vocabulary, and I was two months late. So I was there, and it was really a, a tough, a tough slog. I mean, uh, I was supposed to pass the year. I was two months late. The learning system was completely alien to me, which was it was basically a matter of dictation, memorization, regurgitation. That was the system. Uh, in this particular school and in most of the schools there at that time. So I really was at a, at a loss. I, I had no idea what I was going to do. I had never failed before in my life. I had never um, failed a year, even worse. And I had decided to myself that I was going to pass the year come hell or high water. So I resorted to just about every device I possibly could find or could think of. I memorized. I cheated. I was cheekily bold. I spent long hours of study and memorization of words I did not understand. When I say bold cheek, well, I would, uh, the cheating was quite bold. I would put my notebook under my test. <laughs> and, I would, and I would copy up until the point where the teacher came by and I would drop the book. Uh, I would do whatever I possibly could to pass. And I really worked hard. I studied. I memorized. And what was also holding me back was my um, kind of ambivalent attitude towards my new my new home. Uh, I didn't want to be there. I had started a diary where I was going to outline my thoughts of hatred against this place every day. And I was going to present it at the end of the year to my mom and say, this is why we need to go back. And but yet at the same time, Yet at the same time, I was intrigued. It's a it's a fascinating culture. Um, the people are very different from in the United States. Very warm uh, and also quite quite frustrating at the same time. And I realized at that age that I really enjoyed the change, the variation, the variety. I was introduced to different music. It's funny. It's really ironic. I was in, in. It took me to go to Ecuador to be introduced to European music, music that up until that time I hadn't heard. Had it wasn't arriving in the United States, so I found that to be really cool. And it just started to open up different doors in my mind. So what happened? Well, I went through many many months of just pure hell, memorizing stuff I didn't understand trying to make friends 
unsuccessfully, not being able to speak. It was it was rough. It was really really tough for a fifteen year old. And you know, I, I you know I just to kind of make this long story a little bit short. At the end of that year, they had the teacher saw that I had worked so hard. I still I was still failing, but they said, "Look, we're going to give you a chance." We're going to give you the summer to prepare the final exams. And then the week before school restarts, you're going to sit all the exams in one week, all the final exams. If you get this particular score on, on this test, on that test, on the other test, you're going to pass the year. We're talking chemistry, biology, anatomy, math, physics, Spanish, etc. So they gave me a chance. They said, look, there you go. You take it or leave it. Well, I took it. I studied all summer. It was now a year into my, my odyssey. I sat the exams, and I passed. I was very methodical in my approach. The problem was, is that I still couldn't carry on a decent conversation in Spanish. I was at a loss. I could understand a lot. I was passing my, 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 my exams. I was getting good grades. But the social part was totally lacking. And it was just a tough thing. And then one day... I thought to myself, well, what if I started thinking in Spanish? What if I just said to myself, Norman, start thinking in Spanish? Just right now, what you're doing at this moment, think about it in Spanish. And stream of consciousness, speaking to yourself. I did it. I started it. I started doing it constantly. And the first week I felt like I was going crazy because I was thinking, to, I, was, I was very aware of my thoughts and it was extremely, extremely disturbing. After a week... I began to get used to it. After two weeks, it began to get normal, and three weeks, comfortable and even desirable. And within two months' time, I was able to enter conversations, join discussions. I was no longer translating. I was able to kind of join the flow of a dynamic conversation among adolescents, the back and forth the ping pong, the, the, not the insult, but the, the teasing and the, and the answering and all that. I was able now to join that particular flow of communication and it made a huge, it, 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 I, it just like, it was a click. It was the click. In, in one of our previous episodes, we talked about the baseball click. I had the same thing happen again now. It was a click. And once that happened, everything took off. And I was able to function not just academically, but also socially uh, in Ecuador during the five years that I stayed there. It was an incredible experience. One thing I do remember, though, is that when I started this odyssey, when I got, when I assumed the, the cape of the underdog, a lot of people were telling me, don't try and pass the year. You're killing yourself. You're, you're going to bed every night with headaches. It's not going to happen. You have to be realistic. You got to be realistic. That mean I guess for them it meant that, you know, look at your look at your circumstances, understand that you have no language skills today. You are late coming into the year. You were 2 months late. It's not going to happen. Now, I I started thinking about this idea of being realistic and I realized that the more realistic I am, the more grounded I am in reality, the more options I can possibly identify. Why? 
because nature is only about options. Nature is only about looking for and finding and, and, and implementing solutions. That's nature. That's real. So how do we bridge the gap? What do we do? Well, I realize that it's not really a question of can I do it? No, that's not the question. The question is, do I know how to do it yet? And where can I find what I need to know? Can I identify what I need to know? What are my blind spots? What are those things which I don't know, I don't know? This has got nothing to do with ability being realistic. It's really about you and the quality, the depth, and the breadth of your questions. I never stopped asking questions during that tormenting year, which actually in hindsight was one of the best times of my life. Why? I kept on asking questions. How am I going to pass? What am I going to... And then of course I acted on my ideas, but I kept looking for solutions. If one solution wouldn't work, if I couldn't copy from one book, I would try and find another way to get the answers. If I couldn't memorize this way, I'd memorize it another way. I was constantly looking for solutions, and I just kept on digging and moving forward, despite the fact that most of what was around me was telling me to be realistic that it's not going to happen. I was. I was very realistic. I was very realistic, and I asked better and better questions. Between that time, between June 1982 and April 1983, I spent time asking better and better questions to find the ways to reach my underdog objective, to pass the year successfully, and then later on to integrate socially. So in the end, what is reality made up of? What comprises reality? Well, they've got principles and laws. And I believe that it's up to us, you know, individually and collectively to learn of their existence, to learn about print the principles and the laws that guide us, and then to get to know them. And I mean to get to know them intimately. You know, what do I need to be able to do? How or what is the most effective way to get it done? Which principles or laws are the ones that I can use to my advantage and that I can apply to my advantage? Those are the kinds of questions we need to be asking ourselves when we are trying to be realistic. Reality has all the answers to the questions we need because reality is out there. It's not what you imagine it to be. It's out there and it's abundantly stocked with answers. You've got to ask the questions. And we need to avoid this horrible habit, and I use that term, the, the self-defeating rhetorical question. These questions, you know, they only serve to, they reinforce whatever negative victimhood feeling that you and I may be having. You, you know what we're talking about. You know, we've all used them. You know, you know the questions like, why is this happening to me? Why couldn't I have started earlier? How on earth am I going to make it? 
oh, why does this always happen to me? Those are the self-defeating rhetorical questions. And all that they serve to do is to reinforce the idea, the, the, the self-image or the idea or the belief behind it. Those are not the kinds of questions about reality. Like I said, reality is abundantly stocked with answers. The reality is out there. And it is our responsibility as creators to ask better and better questions in order to, in order to, what's the word I want to use? To, to find, that's not the best word I could think of, to find or to unearth the answers. The answers to help us get to where we want to go. Remember, very importantly, very important point, nobody knows how to reach a goal until they've reached it. We're talking about goals that you've never done before. You could hear about how they've others done it, have done it. You can hear or read about whatever. You're still going to have to figure it out your way. And when you do, then you'll know how to do it. But the only way you can find out the way is by asking better and better questions. In the words of the great Gandalf the Grey from the Lord of the Rings, we must be asking the questions which need, which need answering. Pragmatic, practical, pragmatic, practical questions that'll encourage curiosity, that'll force you to think about solutions, and that will guide you to move forward. It's worked for me. It's never not worked for me during the most serious depths of despair into which I may have fallen at different times in my life when pursuing particular objectives or you know, things like that. It's never not worked for me. I, when I, whenever I'm, I have a problem, I go straight into reality. I dive wholeheartedly into being realistic. Because like I said, now for the third time, reality is out there. It's not in your head. And reality is abundantly stocked with answers to your questions. Ask better questions and get better answers. Thank you so much for your time. Wherever you are around the world, wherever, whichever time zone your presence is gracing, be it evening, be it morning, I wish you a great day, a great evening, and I look forward to speaking again tomorrow. Take care and bye-bye.